So recognizing uh, what can happen at this point in the retreat is that the mind has gone a little way ahead into the into tomorrow or the the process of going home, and that uh, just to remember that we're still here, um, and to really have an intention to to be here for now. This is a kind of so we've been saying many times this is a really precious opportunity. Um, we're still here and we'll still be here for a while. And um, our thought in, in having some space for questions this evening is really to give space for questions about the practice that you're doing or um, things that have been said by any of us. And we'll have time tomorrow where we'll talk about uh, integration and uh, taking the practice home and what what you might do to support yourselves with continuing practice. So really using this time to kind of stay with um, the experience of of practicing here and, and what you've heard and uh, the questions that might be arising in your hearts and minds about that. And uh, we'll come to the, the other stuff tomorrow. And some of you might be feeling actually the silence is coming to an end too soon and uh, you'd rather just be sitting here in silence. And we can use whether whether we're choosing to, to, to speak and have questions coming up or listening or just really feeling very quiet inside, just that we can uh, really be present to the speaking, to listening, to hearing and to what's going on so that it's, a, again, a continuation of uh, this practice of just... Um, being aware of what's arising moment to moment uh, as we let it take the form of answering questions, asking questions. And we'll all um, participate in this so you can ask them of all or any of us and we'll probably um, chip in with different things if responses come to mind. So the space is, space is yours, yeah. Happy to start there. So the the question is for those who didn't hear is about the balance between walking and sitting practice and what's a good ratio. And um, you were saying that for you, you you mostly do walking practice. You like the walking practice. And I think it's um, you know we have different tendencies. Some people find that the walking practice is is really supportive, and it maybe it's. Um, it's actually the space in which you find yourself most able to be awake and um, observant of what's happening and that sitting practice is more more of a challenge and then for others of us that sitting practice feels like this is the most conducive way to practice and maybe the walking practice feels like a bit of a uh, sort of something that we have to do and also that this changes over time so I think um, it's really useful to play to our play to our I don't want to say play to our strengths because that makes it sound like an achievement or something, but actually to, you know, recognize what, what actually works and helps for us. And we can, we can um, kind of take that into account. So I would say there isn't, there isn't a right amount of walking and a right amount of sitting to do. But um, 
and and if you find that one one or the other seems to be working better for you at the moment then to go with that but also to make space for the other so if you, if you really um you know you find that you love sitting and you hate walking just still keep engaging with the walking because this is also really useful to practice in different um in different forms like that it's I don't know whether any of the others of you want to say anything. Mm. Yeah, I appreciate everything you're saying. And um, just thinking how this formula of sitting, walking, and 45 minutes, and it's got a secret, and, you know, it's like this is the way of waking up. You have to alternate, and you have to do it, you know, 30 minutes, 45. I'm joking. So, you know, the... <laughs> There's actually no teachings about that in, you know, in the suttas, the teachings, you know, that are left behind by the Buddha. There's not, nothing that's really specified as far as um, time, you know, but it, it encourages a lot walking because it's balancing. It balances our energy. It oftentimes can get us out of a, a cycle. And it also talks frequently about the the skills of being quiet and sitting still. So it's really honoring honoring both. And as Jai was saying, just to be able to know when maybe one thing is useful, you know, and, and more and more there's, there's sometimes retreats that are offered where there is no schedule, you know, where the schedule is basically to wake up and from the moment you start being mindful to start paying attention and to try and just, you know, maintain the continuity of awareness. And it's really offering us as yogis on that kind of retreat to find our rhythm. How do I get lost? And what helps me come back? And do I need to sit right now? Or am I going to the bed because I'm lazy or tired? Or or do I need to just take some rest? And like that, it really helps us to really know ourselves well and to, to, you know, take care of our practice, which is ultimately what we're going to need to do because we're not going to spend the majority of our time in retreat, you know, so a lot of our practice is going to be much more integrated, you know, into, into our life and, you know, so taking periods and the, the real beauty I just want to say about plugging for walking meditation is because we do a lot of walking in life, if you really kind of make that association of walking with mindfulness, it's so likely the mindfulness will just come back and find you in the midst of walking walking down the hall or going on the street and for the awareness to start to kick in because you've done a lot of walking practice is really a special thing. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. 
pleasant, unpleasant, but not, of course, wholesome, unwholesome. Okay, I'll let Beth answer that question. <laughs> Different times in practice, different approaches are skillful, but um, that actually what has really resonated with me is the, um, the teachings that kind of uh, emphasize not repressing but observing. So if you have a continuity of mindfulness, and you see the consequences of unskillful thoughts, what they feel like in the body, what they feel like in the mind, you know, where they lead to. If you allow the mind to see that, it's not like you let, let it go. Wisdom lets it go. You start to really see this isn't worth picking up. So the struggling to repress it, there may be times when, it's, when we do need to just stop it. But the real wisdom develops from actually seeing um, the, the true nature of unwholesome thoughts. And if we are just so like repressing them all the time, we don't, we don't get to develop that wisdom. Does that make sense? <laughs> Maybe I can just... Uh-huh. That's a thought that came up for me, like in these sets, you quoted that really specifically, that a monk doesn't tolerate an arisen thought of goodwill. And uh, Ill, Ill. I'm ill will, sorry, <laughs> of ill will. Yeah, that, um, that, that, that sense of not tolerating something in, in the way that we generally use that language or think of it actually... Um, to me, it has a flavor of aversion towards it, but that actually it's possible to say no to something in the sense of, as Beth said, not, not following it um, without the ill will. So that, that, that not tolerating doesn't necessarily imply um, that we have to, uh, or that, we, that, that there's no aversion in the response to it. So we, we don't, it, it, to me, it's more a sense of um, a firm a firm intention not to pursue or to continue to entertain an arisen thought of ill will rather than meeting that with further aversion, I think. So, you know, saying we, we kind of have this assumption that saying no to something equals aversion, but it's, it's not exactly the same. You can say no without, without ill will, just as, you know, sometimes that actually compassion requires a setting of a boundary but that can be done with or without aversion. Yeah, I would say that, that this, there are so many different things that are offered in the teachings. And, you know, in that particular sutta, there's, there's these different things to do. It's, you know, I think it's even described like, you know, you can even just really bite down, like grit your teeth and like prevent that thought from coming up. And it, it's like, if we were to tell you, okay, so if you're having a repetitive thought, 
that keeps surfacing, just grit your teeth and prevent it from arising. I don't know how skillful in this context it would be. And yet there's so many temperaments. And it might be that, you know, when those teachings were being offered, there may have been a temperament where actually that was something skillful. The person was really hooked and it was just so deep that it was best for their mind to do something skillful like that of like, no, I'm not going to think that very damaging thought or, or, you know, very harmful thought. And I just find that with all of these tools that are offered and that we hear and that maybe that some things aren't that relevant in this moment and then at another time they do become more relevant or as the refinement of the practice becomes more skilled, I find that there's subtle negative thoughts that actually I can do a, a, a very clear, oh no, I'm not going to actually follow that thought. And there's a strength in the mind that can be very disciplined about that kind of thought that I've seen so many times. And that's the strength that I need in that moment is just drawing that line. It's like, I'm not going to follow that movie because I know where it draws me into rather than just sort of a soft allowing, which really would, would just get me seduced into that negative pattern and, and thinking. So it's just finding your own, your own way. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So that's what my technique is. Just mm-hmm. technique. Yeah. All right. In just two days, I formed it. <laughs> <laughs> this is really from yesterday to today, it's night and day for me. I, I, mm. Yesterday, all I could think of was how stiff I was and how I couldn't sit cross legged and I was falling asleep. And today, I was so alert mm. and I was able to do Thank you. I'll just let that stand on its own. That's lovely. But I'll try the ble- the, the blowing out. And <laughs> you know, there's all there's so many things, and you know, turning the mind to something that soothes the nervous system. A lot of the teachings are about that. Is how do I how do I take an object that balances the mind when it's unbalanced? And we may not even realize that that's all that's happening, but basically the mind is attending to something that's soothing. When I breathe out deeply or when I take, oh, it's like, all right, the attention is going to this very relaxing experience and that balances the mind. You know, so just knowing, sometimes knowing the mechanism behind what's happening helps to really develop the wisdom of of supporting that, that process. So great, yeah. success in doing that in many little mini moments throughout the day, but there are always still situations where it's more difficult, and one that came to mind today was um, that I, I'm someone who's very tough to get off my cell phone, and I was being great all week, weekend in terms of even the impulse of like, mm. oh, it must be in my pocket, let me check my messages, um, and I was fine until we did the small group sitting, and we yeah. had this, you know, 
conversation of sorts. And as soon as I walk out the door, I go right for my yeah. um, uh, pant pocket. So I guess I'm curious, clearly there's uh, something missing in terms of the headspace that I get into when I'm having a conversation and how to do that in such a way that I'm clearly still trying to be as mindful as I can be. So I'm curious what to do, you know, when, especially when there's sort of this dynamic of ah, I'm noticing someone saying something to me. Let me accept someone saying, and the moment's gone. You know, the next person has said something else. So this sort of a disconnect in my head for some reason of how to stay mindful in real-time interaction. Hmm. <laughs> Just well, my my first response is that yes, this it, it is much more difficult to be mindful um, when we're engaged in conversation and interaction, especially one in which we're really interested, because um, we very rapidly get much more caught up in our thoughts, and this is why it's so um, important to develop mindful and useful to develop mindfulness of the body over and over again, so that we don't. Uh, lose ourselves totally in the realm of thought and um, and we kind of need to practice that also at times when we're not busily engaged in conversation in order for that that kind of muscle to develop that we can stay in touch with ourselves and mindful of our intentions say not to automatically reach for the cell phone or whatever when we're when we're engaged in interaction but it is just to acknowledge that it is more difficult I'll just you know just the the social engagement we're we're social creatures and we we do so much relating and you know it's only natural in, in some ways that our attention goes out so much and then we leave ourselves uh what alone like we're not we're, we're not taking care of our own mind our own heart and so if you really want to really take care of a conversation one of the best gifts that you can do is actually keep some of your awareness at home rather than have it be completely outside and we think really good listening is like leaning in and having completely outside and when my teacher was really guiding me and working with, you know, talking and, and mindfulness while speaking, it's using the body and being aware of anything you can. And he would just say, or playfully, like, you know, keep 50-50, 50, 50, 50 outside, 50 inside, or 60-40. You know, and then he was telling me, one yogi asked him, well, how do I measure 60? Like, where's the, like, you know, the 60, the 60 measurement? And which is obviously, you know, it's like, well, it's not, it's nothing magical about what percentage but it's just a matter of trying to do it. You know, and I think we get really good after retreat of practicing, watching our emotions, being aware of our thoughts, sitting on the cushion or maybe walking you know, by each other in the dining room or in the walking spaces and we see all this stuff come up. So we get pretty good at that because we're practicing it. And really all it takes is knowing that we can practice conversation. Mindfulness or awareness, when you really understand the nature of awareness, it doesn't care what the object is, what's being known. And I had this very strong preference for a long time with peace and calm. And so 
I would have this craving when I was in the monastery to get back into the hall. And there was talking allowed in the monastery. So some people would do a lot of talking and they would grab you and you'd be stuck in conversation. And the mind would be raging saying, please, you know, internally, like, please shut up because I've got to go, you know, develop my mindfulness, (laughs) you know, and my my loving kindness in the hall. (laughs) Which, you know, that's endless. We just constantly do that. And at some point I actually heard that voice inside. And I was really awakened in that moment. And I was, wow, I can be right here listening and being mindful. So that began to really get established. And then the very first time I actually heard my own voice while speaking was new to me. It's like I had, I mean, we'd always been hearing our own voices, but to actually do it with mindfulness was a new thing for me in the midst of a conversation, which then meant there was the possibility of so much more reflection and skill in communication. And it's just practice. And it's wonderful to see something like that. You see how a little bit of agitation and immediately the habit of goes unconscious and let me grab the next device. And we're just going to do that so many times. You know, in Tibetan Buddhism practices, they say some of these patterns you have to see. It's like the first hundred thousand times you you begin to recognize a pattern. (laughs) Just even the beginning inkling of it, you know, and then the next hundred thousand you start to go, hey, maybe maybe there's something happening here. You know, and then the next time, not to, you know, make this depressing, but then the next hundred thousand, like you're really facing it and like, okay, let me see what's going on. Just to say, we do it, we do these things and it's just habits, you know, and then the more we, we look. Sorry, what do you mean with the inside, outside? Internally, actually being aware of our experience versus having all of our attention on the concept of what's happening. This person, the story, Right, so we're not actually aware of the process of our experience of the body or of the sense doors, of the seeing, of the hearing. And it's not quite the accurate um, metaphor, but part of what mindfulness does basically is turns our attention to our own experience. And it's not quite that because there is no inside outside, but it's beginning to actually be present with our own experience, which is our as you know, we've been saying the body and the emotions and the thoughts and the fact that we're seeing and hearing. So bringing some attention to that and not just caught in the story, that's the dialogue, you know. So that's, that's good listening is when we're actually awake to the whole process. object and there was over efforting and I I have noticed more with late, later practice in my life that there's this that the beauty of right effort is that you can attend to something kind of as long as you'd like to and without getting tired and then I'm now picking up on that I think I might not be checking the attitude of the mind often enough because what happens is the mind gets kind of pleased with itself that it can just pay attention and I'm wondering about I'm wondering about how often I should be asking what is the attitude of the mind about not just the capacity for it to be stable on something but for the actual object itself and and it seems like it'd be hard to kind of split that out after a while hmm. were you able to hear the question in the back no okay so <laughs> 
the statement was in the beginning that he's been practicing for quite a while. He started out with a primary object that would really support the concentration. I got the first part. (laughs) (laughs) And then there was effort involved in that, noticing that there was a lot of effort. Okay, then, he's, then he began to really discover that with the right effort, actually can do this more continuous. It's not so tiring. And then he began to realize that maybe he wasn't checking the attitude of the mind because... because the mind was basically kind of content. Very content. So the mind became very content with itself. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so how often should one check the attitude? Um, um, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just to say, we actually put some sheets outside that are titled, What is the Right Attitude of Meditation? Seriously, and they're a teacher that we studied with, Utejaniya. So he's, it's like 23 points, and it's just reminders about, how, about checking the attitude. So those are, those are available just outside the door. Um, and just one disclaimer about that. The, they were spoken in Burmese initially, and the translation wasn't brilliant. So some of them say, like, don't push out, you know, don't create anything, let's say. And it's like, actually, that's not quite the languaging. It really should be more like, um, it's not, uh, we're not trying to push things away. So read it more in that flavor, like we're not trying to, we're not, but it's going to say don't, and don't take that as like a, you know, which is just another, you know, don't, you know, you're a very bad meditator. So it's not about that. <laughs> Anyways, that was my little thing about the sheets. I'm going to turn it over to one of you. I got all the good ones. <laughs> um, I'm really thinking about your question as I'm sitting here, you know, like how... How do I check? When do I check the attitude of the mind? And um, in part, it's when I'm aware of it. So, you know, it's not like you would set a timer and say, every how many times a minute should I be checking the mind? But it's just a very um, interesting, what to, of course, what you know that the attitude of the mind really is what's affecting the experience of the object. So, um, yeah, no, I, I guess what's happened over time is that I'm checking the attitude of the mind much more than I'm attending to the object, or that I never really, or anyway, as soon as I kind of wake up, I'm realizing that it's the mind like not the object. So it's much more, not so often now that I do it, but it's more the orientation in general is um, much more toward the attitude of the mind than, you know, uh, yeah. Especially like, because um, I, I, when you described your progression through practice, I started that same way. And, um, yeah, it's like, I feel like I'm not really giving you a very good answer, but um, maybe um, someone else would like to. But just to say that, it's just become much more the orientation than the frequency. 
it's just more in relation to the object. I'm actually checking the mind much more than I did. Does that make sense? Just one one thought that arose in this mind is like you know when when that thought oh let me check the the attitude of the mind arises it's like um, I'd want to check the attitude almost check the attitude of the mind that's producing that question uh-huh. in the first place it's like because I want to be doing it I want I want to be you know I want to be getting something from doing this or you know I like where where's that Where's that impulse coming from? Is it is that itself arising um, from a state of of balanced interest, or is it like I I really want to be doing this as frequently as possible because I want to be progressing my meditation as much as possible? Do you know what I mean? It's just, I don't know. That might <laughs> might just complicate things even more. <laughs> I'm just going to drop in just one little thing about. Um, I think over time, as attitude has made more sense because it's not quite a Pali term. There is something called Yoniso Manisakara, which you mentioned, which is wise attention or a way of translating that is taking something to heart in a skillful way. And that wise attitude or right attitude increasingly for me points to what kind of Beth was saying, which is that is the place of where suffering arises is how am I relating to this? When we're looking at what are the causes of suffering, the discovery that comes up is the mind's relationship to the object, the relationship to the experience, whatever it is. And that's where that investigation of, okay, now that I'm mindful and I'm mindful of the breath or I'm mindful of this, how is the mind relating to it? That's where the discovery really starts to come about in terms of what is dukkha? What is the cause? What is the relinquishment? What is the release of it? Can I really see the field in which that arises? And the suffering doesn't arise in the object, it arises in the mind, which is why we say it's the mind that's being cultivated, the mind-heart, right? It's this relational experience. And so checking the attitude increasingly becomes in a way the orientation how am I relating to this experience and you would do that at times for me is like okay even discovering what the bloody attitude is took a long time it's like well what's an attitude I don't know what an attitude is I'm seeing the experience but I don't know what my attitude is so then I would just play with it and go okay how am I relating to this and I would draw a blank you know and then I'd have to take something really really intense to begin to recognize, oh, okay, that's, I can see that, that's a struggle. I'm, I'm resisting that, there's an attitude. Okay, that's resistance. What is the nature of resistance? And resistance, typically people find that aversion is an attitude of mind that's a little bit easier to, to see because pushing away and rejecting is a, a very clear stance. The greed is oftentimes a bit harder to see as an attitude of mind because we're kind of getting what we want. And when you're talking about the pleasantness of experience and you don't check the attitude, what happens is the balance of mind gets off. When you check the attitude and you see, oh, there's wanting, there's a liking of this. As much as we don't pay attention to that, to that degree we get off balance. The mind is no longer stable 
free of the torments, the defilements of greed, hatred, and delusion. So that checking the attitude is integral, really, to the practice. You know, it's, it's just a learning process. And is that, when you, if you check the attitude, I'm just a little unclear about this, and you find that there's a version, does it poof go away sometimes at that moment? You're, you're, that's, that's, you're getting a chance to see the nature of aversion. And that's, that's going to give some insight. You're going to see how actually feeling aversive burns, it agitates and you just hang out with it. I mean, sometimes I'm experiencing a phenomenon in the body or in the mind, mind stream. I know it's unpleasant. I know it's nature. And yet the deep habit is to resist and to be identified with it. And I'm just watching the nature of the reaction happen, the aversion. And I'm learning a lot about how aversion plays out. That's bringing the right attitude to the aversion then you have a judgment about, you know, not being able to have the right attitude or trying to, so then you bring the right attitude to that. Can I be with that? that that's where that kind of renewal of questions or, or orienting keeps the, the practice very fresh. Can I be with this? And then whatever it is that's coming up, again, you just check to see if the mind is orienting to it in a way that's skillful, balanced. You know, one thing that I just was remembering that, you know, I... Uh, when I was with the Chejani and heard the teachings, that had a big impact on me in terms of uh, aversion and the attitude of the mind was his teaching on very light effort. You know, that, that we don't make a big effort because if we really effort a lot, then we fall off on the other side and we're exhausted. So we're kind of going back and forth. So I really like tried to use light effort. And when I was doing that... I kind of realized how much of the aversion striving, whatever, was coming from the quality of the effort. So if aversion was there, then the effort to get rid of it was there. But when I had like a light effort, then I wasn't so entangled in the aversion and actually paying attention to the effort. Then a lot of actually schmutzy things came up. when I had a very light effort, because a lot of my effort when I was really more into concentration was to block all that stuff out. So a lot of it came up, but I wasn't as entangled because I was enjoying the light effort. So aversion, and it was a very, just, you know, that's another, I just remembered how it was such a great experience to to have all those hindrances (laughs) because I wasn't so like, I wasn't really trying to get rid of them anymore. I was just, was kind of, yeah. And if you're just barely holding on, trying to know your breath, don't worry about all this other stuff. Like, if you just, <laughs> for the, you know, just, I'm just barely here. Like, what's all this other stuff? You know, he's done a lot of practice. So, I, I, yeah, just to say, yeah. don't worry about, this is just, anyways, the, just information, you know, can let it, let it come and go, and if it comes back and it's useful, great. If not, choo. <laughs> we'll take one. <laughs> uh, we just did a couple guys. We'll go with a woman here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> yeah. I think I think for me it's the same it does you know it it can particularly in the beginning feel feeling feel like um that that there's that's more thinking it's like because there's a kind of verbal conceptual acknowledgement of what's here and you know if we've if we've been using a practice of noting for example then that that particular um putting it putting a, a verbal label on something that happens very automatically and quickly and it's it's not bad it's just part of you know what happens when we recognize something and i think as the mind becomes quieter um it can you can sometimes find it just noticing things without without so much verbal labeling happening so um and it does, I'm afraid it does pick up the most recent accents that once I've listened to. So I just helped teach a retreat here a few weeks ago with a whole team of, of European teachers. And the yogis were writing notes. We're starting to think in British accents. Is this right or wrong? <laughs> so this, I, 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 I think Dharma thoughts in an American accent quite often. <laughs> I think oftentimes we think um, that really good practice is the, the ending of thoughts and this kind of peaceful mind that can come, like no more thinking. And I think it's actually really skillful to think about the practice as being really inviting in our intelligence. We really ought to use as much skill. And it doesn't mean we're thinking constantly, but it does mean we're, we're really reflecting. And so the fact that you're having things that probably are supportive for your practice, Jaya's reminders, voice coming in and, and offering the wisdom, and then, great. You know, and at other times, it's maybe it's just chatter, and then you realize it's not serving. And I didn't, you know, in the beginning when I was practicing until I met a teacher personally, I was always trying to stop things and not even using a reflection of, well, how am I practicing? Do I know? Is the quality of mindfulness clear and what's being known? And he would prompt a lot of these questions to kind of remind me that, all right, practice is a cultivation of the mind and it's the wholesome, skillful mind. It's not a blanking out. It's a very clear knowing of what's useful, what's happening. And the intelligence is, is essential really to, to really practice wisely. So then we know, you know, we have to be able to ask that question, how am I relating to an experience? And that's the thinking mind a little bit. It doesn't even need to be language, but just that that orientation is, is alive inside. So we're really listening. You just want to make sure that that's out there because it's so easy to, to somehow think that the mind shouldn't be thinking. You know, and it's weird when we talk about thinking and not feeding the thinking mind, it's more like the... the the useless chatter, you know, that happens. And yet a lot of practice is going to require our wise reflection, knowing our own practice, knowing our own mind, what's happening. Is it interested? Is it pulled back? Is it simply spacing out? And that is going to be an investigation of quality that kind of looks and is interested and keeps things unfolding and developing. And if you do it in British accent, that's great. I think that's a wonderful accent to have. I sometimes would try and speak in Burmese, even though I didn't know, and I'd hear my, you know, my teacher's voice chattering, and somehow it still worked. I would just hear his Burmese going on in my mind, and it'd bring clarity because I had the association, you know, of, oh, Burmese is mindful. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so there's two questions back there. We're going to grab you guys tomorrow. If that's, yeah. Can it wait till tomorrow? Okay. Yeah, well, thank, thank you. I think that's really um, important, the, you know, the last point that Alexis made about, um, you know, using, using intelligence in this practice and not, uh, not um, getting stuck in this, this perception that thinking is all to be eradicated somehow. So, yeah. <laughs> Big um, yeah, fallacy, this em- emptying the mind. So um, we can have some time now for walking and stretching your legs, getting some air, and then um, meet back for the sitting at 8.45 to end the evening together. Okay, we'll we'll keep it short, so... (laughs) So feel free to come. (laughs) So it's our last evening together, and we won't keep you up too long that it might be nice to be together at the end of this evening. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.